Thank you for downloading this sponsored podcast presented by PR Week. For more podcasts, visit us online at prweek.com. Hi, everyone. This is Gideon Fields. I manage editor of PR Week. It is my pleasure to welcome you to this very special podcast sponsored by Real Chemistry. Much gratitude to them for doing so. Our session today will focus on the importance of scientific communications at this particular time. While health has always been a topic of broader interest to the public, it has never been so consistently top of mind for so many people as it is now. This reality has brought about a renewed importance to the role of the healthcare communicator. Lack of confidence in information being shared, the political climate, uncertainty as to what sources to listen to. These are just some of the issues that we hope to tackle today with the leader who I can confidently say you absolutely can and should listen to. I am being joined today by Real Chemistry Global President Jennifer Gottlieb. Jen, it is so great seeing you and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Gideon. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, now, Jen and I talk about a whole bunch of things all the time, from billions to Damian Lewis. Actually, that's the same thing, isn't it? But it a lot is. of, <laughs> lot, so, so Jen, is not, Jen is wise on so many things, but as you'll find out today, when it comes to the healthcare space, she's pretty much got it all nailed down. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time, so let's just get right to it. And Jen, the first, talk, the first topic I want to tackle with you is this. The increased focus on all things healthcare truly bloomed last spring when COVID-19 upended our lives. And frankly, there was a widespread lack of confidence in the information people were receiving. In order to improve on anything, you must understand why the problem happened in the first place. What causes broad mistrust and rampant misinformation, and have we learned anything from it? Absolutely. Thanks, Gideon. And I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while as well. You know, as we hit the end of 2021, after being almost two years into the pandemic, there's no more important time than to look at what happened and what we learned and where we're going. And as you talk about, you know, some of the misinformation and the chaos that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic related to communications, um, there is no, no other way to describe it. And it all really, you know, is stemming from the fact that you cannot always be prepared for what's next. We had a global pandemic and a crisis, and those of us in healthcare, especially working in vaccines, have done pandemic preparedness before as a what-if scenario, but to be quite honest, never really thought it would happen. And then here we were faced with the COVID-19 pandemic, and I think there were three reasons why we ended up in the situation we did related to what I would call complex and confusing communications, sometimes accurate to your point, sometimes not accurate, and ultimately um, us into communications predicaments that none of us had really experienced before. And the first thing is that um, we were learning in real time. I always say COVID-19 is almost like one giant real world experiment and it still is today. And that is um, the communications piece of that is, is not um, any less significant than the actual crisis. So what happened was, you know, we saw scientists learning information in real time but because of the 24-7 news cycle and digital ecosystem in which our news is flowing and the public's kind of voracious nature to want information instantaneously, it created a dynamic where you had scientists on the front lines almost processing information in real time, which I think in many cases was not the way the public was used to receiving information. And in some cases gave them confidence and in some cases left the door open for doubt as to what was really happening. Number two, with that, it left a bit of a void of information that people who were not scientific experts filled. 
So you had people that had opinions, you had people with political agendas, you had people with personal agendas, and people with influence that was not scientifically based, providing their opinion that was misinterpreted without context as fact. And the third piece is what have we learned from it, which I think is the most important, is planning and preparation will always be critical. And I think that we're going to start to run more simulations of crises that we don't even think of, you know, as something that would happen in the future. But more importantly, as it comes back down to the topic we're talking about today, I think it's going to be critical that we identify who the experts are in different areas from public health to science communications, to clinical trials, to all different disease states early and often moving forward so that when crises break, the media in particular know exactly who to go to quickly and those people are prepared for what needs to happen based on the lessons learned from this pandemic. Um, thank you so much for that. And we're probably going to touch on some of these points again as we have this conversation and they're worth repeating because to be honest with you, while obviously a lot of obviously everything we're talking about today stems from COVID-19 and misinformation and, 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 one, and lack of trusted information, this sort of communication challenge certainly can happen in other areas as well. So this is a lesson for everyone. It's not just people in healthcare communications, and that's why this is so valuable. But when you ask any comms leader for counsel on how to best navigate a crisis, most will tell you that avoiding the crisis is the best path, and that means being prepared to nip one in the bud. But as you already alluded to, that is particularly difficult when the crisis is as unprecedented and broadly disruptive as COVID-19 is or was or is actually. How can any brand or communicator be prepared for such a crisis? Is it even possible to be prepared for such a crisis? Absolutely, uh, it's a great question. So the first thing I always ask, and I've done a lot of crisis work in my career as a 30 year career communications veteran, especially in healthcare, the first thing I always ask when brought a situation is, are we in a crisis or are we having a PR crisis? I think sometimes people mix those things up. The first thing I always try to identify is, are we having a real crisis? If we're having a real crisis, what are the things we need to put into place to manage around the crisis and then the communications around the crisis? And I think that oftentimes, you know, the communications crisis follows the regular crisis. So I think that's number one. Number two, managing a crisis without any kind of plan or even a framework of a plan is kind of like walking in the dark without a flashlight. Mm -hmm. So even though we might not be prepared for a pandemic like COVID-19, there is really kind of a framework we can put together, a basic framework of what are you know the five to 10 steps that we would take for an unforeseen crisis. That's definitely you know, something that we've seen time and time again and, and applies here as well. The other thing is, one thing I always recommend related communications is know who the experts are. So we talked in the question before about scientific experts, but not every part of this crisis with COVID was about science. So you had a lot of things going on related to delivery of vaccines. So think about the public health delivery of vaccine when the vaccines first finally came out. People were looking to the public health departments for information. You know, you had people there that probably may not have needed to be science experts. Maybe they were experts on how you how procedurally right we needed to do that there was also a number of different experts that had to get in front of the media related to you know manufacturing related to research and development and we saw great communications coming out of leaders like scott gottlieb right every weekend on face the nation 
um, many local political leaders as well. So it's really about looking at the SWAT team, I call it, of who are the different voices that we need, some scientific and some other, depending on the basis. Um, the other thing I think is really important is that we use data and analytics for many of our crisis simulations for our clients. What we do is we look at real-time data and analytics that you would get like off of a very quick moving Twitter, Twitter feed or Twitter announcement. And we help our clients be prepared for the speed at which they're going to have to respond to the crisis. So I think that back in the day, I'm sure Gideon, you'll remember, we used to have these like crisis binders that you would have on the <laughs> shelf. And it would have like every blueprint of every scenario you would need. And nowadays, even if you have the framework, the most important thing is to understand that you have to move at agile speed when the crisis hits and you have to move at the same speed at which the crisis is happening. So I think that using data and analytics to see how a story is morphing in real time is critical um, and to meet that with other data and analytics and actually to be quite honest with digital communication. Thanks for that, Jen. Now, Aaron Rodgers. Now there's a name you might not have thought would come up today, but clearly it is. And the timing of our conversation today comes as the Aaron Rodgers controversy is still fresh on many minds. What I want to focus on is how that situation underscores how blurred the lines can get when discussing healthcare issues. Clearly, Aaron Rodgers is not necessarily a healthcare expert, but this word does carry weight with a lot of people. So what is a communicator, what is a communicator's best path to ensure the clearest, most accurate information is being shared when situations like this continue to confuse so many? So it's such an interesting point that you raise, Gideon. And when the Aaron Rodgers controversy happened about a week ago, I actually, I'm not a big sports fanatic. I, I don't watch a lot of sports, but I did see some of the interviews on the news. And, you know, as a communicator and somebody who's grounded in science communications, you know, the first thing that really drew me was some of the misuse of language mm -hmm. um, and the misinterpretation of language that was being used. And I always say semantics matter. And, you know, the first thing that caught my eye was, you know, this confusion that started related to the word immunized versus vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Before that even became kind of, you know, like the popular trend on Twitter that evening, as I was watching the interview as a science communicator, I immediately bombed onto that and said, ooh, you know, that's, that's going to cause a tremendous amount of confusion. And whether it was intentional or whether it wasn't intentional is not for me to judge. But the word immunized and the word vaccinated, you know, those words really mean the same thing. And being immunized does relate to being vaccinated. And I do think that he confused the public by talking about other ways to be immunized as he was trying to explain his situation. And I think it's also a lesson that if you hold a lot of influence, no matter who you are, then you have to watch every word you use and make sure you understand the importance and the share of voice you have, right, amongst audiences that will see you as an expert because of how popular or well-known or celebrity, I guess, you are. And I always say that anybody who has any kind of public figure position like that needs to be that much more cautious and responsible with their language and with what they say and understand that. So I think that that was a really important lesson in semantics matter. I also think that the other thing that's really important about that is understanding um, the importance of for the news media to always balance out like a public figure such as Aaron Rodgers with a scientist or a medical professional to quickly showcase 
you know, what is this, what is that being, what's being said and what does that actually mean? What's the context that people should understand that in and bridge back to the importance of the public health message that we were trying to communicate. Thank you for that. Now, um, seems like a lot of the questions I'm asking today are about challenges, but I guess that sort of makes sense, right? One we of were the in a pandemic, so yeah, I, I think well, it makes sense, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you're the perfect person to talk to about that, so it works great. Yeah. One of the biggest, another big challenge that healthcare communicators faced and still face during the pandemic is the way that healthcare has become so politicized. Too many people were only focused on messages from those they share political ideology with and making important decisions based on that information. So this scenario is one with real life implications. The right information is being put out there, but a large swath of the audience isn't listening. So I'm very eager to hear what counsel you have, Jen, for communicators to overcome these particular obstacles. Thanks, Gideon. Yes, um, we absolutely saw a blurring of the lines between personal and political agendas um, as it related to health and science. And, you know, I always say, like, health and science should always be grounded in the data. You know, that's how medicine has always been. And in this situation, you know, I think it was the perfect storm of a lot of things happening over the course of the last 18 months. And the pandemic happened to hit right at the time when we were in the middle of a pretty uh, tumultuous political time. So I think that, you know, there was unquestionably a more obvious mixing of the two areas and something that required, again, even more complexity for the general public to sort through, figure out what was the truth in the science, what was the data really telling us and how to move forward. I think that something that is a really interesting example though, is I've worked in vaccines for my entire career. I've been in the vaccine industry supporting for manufacturing probably for the last 25 years. And when you first started seeing people come out having fear about vaccines or what we would call vaccine hesitancy, in some cases they were considered anti-vaccine individuals, you saw it was people that were a little bit more worried about you know, putting medicine in their body. They were more about holistic medicine. They didn't really trust you know, the traditional medicine and um, healthcare system. And they were actually usually more, um, more liberal, right? They were not, they were not conservative um, individuals. And what we saw interestingly was as the vaccine rollout started to happen, I think we were all a little bit surprised mm -hmm. to see some of the more conservative base not be accepting of the vaccine. Um, these are people that traditionally had been vaccinated, had vaccinated their children with pediatric vaccination. So there was definitely something else going on there. And I think that we still don't have all the answers to what has happened or why that's happened, especially considering that majority of the political leaders that they follow have all been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So I think we're still trying to unravel some of the complexities about the intertwining of the political and the healthcare landscape over the last 18 months. The other thing I think that's really important to note is we saw a lot of important issues come up related to health equity, related to vaccination, related to what was going on with COVID in particular. Those are real issues and real issues that I think our country in particular and many countries around the world are taking much more seriously than they had before. That's an area where I think we can really make a big difference and I don't see that as politically I think that the health equity piece is, is actually truly based on data. And, um, and so that's something I think that, you know, there is some he vaccine hesitancy, but for different reasons, and reasons that we're all really committed to addressing. 
Um, and then the last thing I think is really important is it is important uh, in situations where there is complexity related to politics, corporate um, companies, as well as, you know, the general public having to make sense of things are, you know, nonpartisan third party groups like the Ad Council, like uh, the Black Coalition Against COVID. We did work with both of those groups and numerous other groups over the course of the pandemic, very objective third party groups that are truly there to help move the ball forward in terms of keeping people healthy, keeping people safe, and trying to provide education, true education, you know, in terms of what people needed to do to stay alive. I appreciate all that. And, you know, I do have to say it is, you made the point, it is so frustrating when you have so many talking heads who are telling people not to get vaccinated when they themselves have gotten vaccinated. As a communicator in this space, that has to be one of the most frustrating things. I mean, but, you know, unfortunately, that's the reality of it. But again, we're very, very fortunate to have people such as yourself trying to set the record straight for a lot of people. And, you know, a lot more people are vaccinated now than there were. So the message is getting out there slowly but surely. So and Gideon, is- the other thing I wanted to raise about that that you just raised that I think is important is never did I ever think when we were working so hard to get the vaccines onto the market when the companies were doing that, mm-hmm. that we would see such backlash against the vaccines. And I have to tell you that I think what's happened, um, and I've always been very interested in this phenomenon, is that many people who are you know in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s today did not live through polio and they did not live through diphtheria, and they did not live through other vaccine-preventable diseases that had there not been vaccines developed for, many, many, many more people would not be here today. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of a conversation that is worth having with people of older generations. You find a tremendous amount of high vaccination rates amongst people in their 70s and 80s, even into their 90s, and if you speak to them, do tell you about like how important vaccine development was in the history of the world. And so I think that we lack some context in the younger generations as to, you know, how important that is. And um, that's something that I think um, is an important lesson for us. I appreciate that very much. Thank you for that. And I have to admit, this is probably, this will be the last question I ask you, but it might be my favorite one. And I think you'll see why in a minute. No way is this conversation going to conclude without me mentioning your position on the PR Week Health Influencer 30 list. So well-deserved. And so many reasons you earned that honor. But I want to focus on your leadership particular to Real Chemistry's use of analytics and digital insights, which is one of many reasons your agency continues to do so well. Inasmuch as data analytics and digital insights are table stakes for all communicators at this point, I'd love to give you the floor to share just a couple of philosophies you have as to how comms pros, not just in healthcare either, can optimally use these tools to bolster their brands? Well, first of all, thank you so much for my healthcare influencer honor of this year. There's no year that I've been prouder to be in this industry than this the last 18 months, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that with such heart. And as it relates to our leadership at Real Chemistry related to being grounded in data, analytics, and digital, I've been, I think you know, here at the company for years, which is a really long time in our industry. And I've really been, you know, hand in hand involved in the evolution of how data has really changed the game related to our strategic communications for clients. First and foremost, we do not make a move without um, using some fundamental analytics to help our clients identify who they need to be speaking with, where are those people, what kind of natural language do they use, and what are we trying to achieve based on what they need. 
I think that we have proprietary analytics. We actually are real experts at curating a lot of data sets and analytics, even if they're not, you know, homegrown here at Real Chemistry. Um, and we pride ourselves on the fact that it's not just about the data, it's actually about the analysts understanding the industry and the healthcare and science space to make sure that we are not just data rich and insight poor. We make sure that we have great data and amazing insights that really help strategically guide everything our clients you know, are doing ultimately for the good of patients. And there are a couple of other pieces of that that are very important. Number one, it's all about what I call insight integration. You can get, the, get this great insight, but if the other disciplines within, within the organization aren't thinking about how the data should be utilized and interpreting the data correctly, the program may fall short somewhere along the way. For example, you know, we often don't think about data as it relates to creative, right? Creative has always been just its own process. But if your creative team is comfortable working in the data and they trust the data, then they're going to deliver more on what the audience actually needs and has communicated through um, research than not. The other thing is um, we also look at our activation team. So it's not just great, uh, good enough to architect the right audience that you need to target based on data. Then you need to know what channels do those people typically frequent to make sure the information is getting to them in the way that they want to receive it. The other piece that I think is really important is making sure we measure, measure, measure. So analytics have actually provided a door to measurement in communications and PR that we've never had before. It is wonderful when you can look at an audience, you know exactly what they need and how to reach them, you know exactly what they're missing, and you can kind of take that data and thread it through your entire program and measure it on the back end to make sure that you've made impact. I think being able to tie point A to point C is a differentiator and something that everybody needs to start to apply to communications. You know, a lot of the conversations I've had of late have talked about how communicators have gone from being artists to the combination of art and science and how basically that's what a good communicator is now and going forward, it's going to be that way as well. So it's always such a pleasure for me to speak to someone who is an artist and a scientist as a communicator. And that's, that's you, Jen, in a nutshell. And, um, I knew I'd enjoy this conversation very much and um, you didn't disappoint. So thank you so much for that. Um, I also know how busy you are. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Obviously I want to thank Real Chemistry as well for sponsoring this. Um, I really, really think while all of us have had a really, really difficult couple of years because of COVID, just some of the shining lights that might've come out of it is A, I think communications has never been more respected by a broader group of people, including the C-suite as it is right now. And um, I think communicators have probably learned quite a few things that are going to help them going forward, even once we're out of this pandemic. And Jen is one of the leaders who's teaching so many people those things. So we're very, very fortunate to have her in, in, our, in this industry. And I was very, very fortunate to spend this time today talking to you. So, um, and of course, I want to thank everyone out there for tuning into this. You know, please check back on PureWeek.com because we're actually having more, another podcast with um, the fine folks at Real Chemistry, not Jen, a couple of other leaders there in about a couple of weeks or a month's time. So definitely check that out as well, as well as all the other wonderful podcasts that we have on our site. But thanks again, Jen. Thanks again to Real Chemistry. Thanks all of you tuning in. And until next time, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. So thanks a lot. Thank you.